You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. In today's episode, I'm talking to Johnny Stewart, who's got quite a bit of experience hunting in the Northeast, but also is a traveling hunter and has spent time in many states across the Midwest as well. Our topic of a conversation is mature buck behavior, which seems at first glance like it could be a narrow topic, but it really isn't. One thing that's very obvious in this discussion with Johnny is that older bucks don't always operate the same as other deer. But even on top of that, they individually have so many different characteristics and behaviors that trying to describe what any given buck or the, the general mature deer might do is challenging. There are so many specific scenarios that could be at play. Johnny and I will also be spending some time together this fall during the veterans hunt that Spartan Forge is hosting, so I'm pretty excited for that. And on that topic, I know a couple of you have reached out to me just to see if there are any updates on that Spartan Forge app launching. I can say that the app is in testing currently. I have a beta version of it on my phone and I'm helping to vet it along with others. Things are coming along quite nicely and I will say that there's going to be uh, quite a few more features and functionality built into that app than there was uh, present in the web-based version last year. You can use my code DIY for a discount if interested in checking that service out. Without further ado, let's jump into the discussion with Johnny. All right. On the phone with me right now, I have Johnny Stewart from out in Pennsylvania. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give the listeners a quick synopsis of uh, kind of where you hunt in the northeast part of the, the country and some of your experiences. Well, yeah, um, Garrett, I'm from kind of Pittsburgh area, and I've been traveling north, northern PA, probably 20 years uh, hunting in, in the national forest type area there's a lot of land there the, the hunt's been getting better the last i've been getting more serious about that area probably the last six eight years um but besides that i've probably been hunting public land pretty serious the last i'd say about 10 years now pretty strictly only public um pretty much all my hunts are i don't live anywhere i hunt like i said i live near pittsburgh so um i can um relate to a lot of people to where you get that one week that you got to go to the state, you got to get your scouting in, and it's kind of, um, what I do. I try to get a couple, two to three States, maybe four, I've done five. Um, but I've had some luck and I've learned a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up hunting in around Pittsburgh, you know, I did the suburbs, you know, back in my twenties and like, you know, uh, hunting deer with people and in backyards. And, you know, when I was younger, uh, you know, I, um, kind of hunted this area small game but i got into archery probably 12 14 years old and and that so um yeah kind of blew up as far as houses and stuff uh developments around where i live so i did kind of get into the and around the houses and we had some success there probably in my 20s and, and we did a lot of bow drives and but then um i wanted to get away from that and um so yeah i like the bigger fast pieces of land where you can hike and and get around and and uh, and so yeah that's where i'm at now um yeah so that's about it here you know yeah and, and you've in some of those states that you've traveled to have been like midwestern type states too where 
it's not just kind of the the big wood stuff that you got a lot of experience with the suburban stuff but even as we kind of you know branch west across kind of you know the ohio iowa type region like in that more broken mix of farmland you got a little bit of experience there too it sounds like yeah well, definitely a lot a lot of that you know a lot of time in, in that type of area but i'm looking for bigger hunks of land and i just i like that vastness not knowing what's out there and you get into that you know the stuff you said the broken up farmland and you get your smaller pieces of public you kind of uh, you kind of know what's there a little more, not you, but just in general, people know what's yeah. out there, whether they buy and it's like everything's known or do you get to that bigger, um, I like the mystery of, of what's, what's out there, what's lurking out there. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I've seen in, I'd say the last year or so where I've, cause in, in the past I've always kind of not necessarily small. There's been some big pieces of public that I've hunted, but some of that really big public to where you have the type of habitat that could hold, you know, tens to 50, even, you know, hundred thousand acres potentially. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just, there's so much area to explore and there's just guaranteed to be places where no other guys go and, and guaranteed to be things that you can find out there that, that, uh, are just going to be a lot more overlooked than you get in some of the smaller pieces. Yeah. And it's intriguing being in, in that type of, environment and, and some of the smaller pieces is just like i said you just kind of know that there's not no mystery there but um yeah the the bigger stuff's where where i've been hang i mean i do steal the midwest and stuff like that but yeah I, I like that that type of land you know what i mean so yeah well one of the things that sparked this conversation was you know we always i think here as deer hunters that when you get a deer that gets older age class, it's almost mm. like they become a different animal. I think I, yep. I remember I was listening to Bill Thompson the other day and he was saying that, um, I can't maybe get the quote exactly right, but something to the effect of, if you look at the actual GPS data of like older class, older age class bucks, and you compare that to data from just general deer, you'd be convinced it was a totally different species of animal. And, and I guess I wanted to, to dive in a little bit deeper into, to some of your experiences to figure out what are some of the things that you see where uh, an older age class animal does things differently than the rest of the deer. And if you're, you know, feel like you're doing a good job at deer hunting and, and getting on sign and getting on deer, but you're just not seeing those, those older age class animals, you're seeing a lot of two year olds, three year olds, does, etc. You know, what things do we start need to, to look at differently? Um, if we want to be, if we want to have some chance of success at, at getting an older buck, you know, within the rut or even outside of the rut. Yeah. And yeah, what, what Bill said is, is I, that's got in here that, but yeah, it's almost like a different species. And so, and that's where I'm at. That's that's the animal I'm after because he is different. It doesn't relate to the rest of the herd. So just some things that I've picked up over the years, I'm more instinctual. Like I instinctively learn about these animals and, and, and I always ask myself questions. I like following individual deer, mature deer, and learn there's, and they're all individually different, just like humans, as we always can relate to. There's deer that I, mature deer that I I followed, whether it was with cameras or, or just scouted and or seen or glassed that they and like maybe a hard hunted public land and maybe some of the smaller like Ohio, you know, or Midwest to where 
these deer, I think they even felt like they were different. These mature deer even felt like they were a different species to where they didn't really participate in the what the rest of the herd was doing. I've seen deer like mature deer, um, older mature bucks, not even like rub trees or even hit scrapes that other deer, the rest of the population would would hit. They, they just felt like they were other, you know, they were yeah. better and they didn't need to participate in them shenanigans. Basically they weren't on that level. They felt they were like you said, Bill said they, they, the model shows that, but they also, I think, feel that way that they are other. Um, but yeah, a lot of them deer are just like in a heavy, I've, I've learned in like some heavy hunted, like Midwest, you know, smaller, broken up farmland as as you said um they didn't use trails they they were like i said a lot of scrapes they, they were kind of like satellites you know they would maybe be there but not there you know they would kind of like just be on a downwind side and, and smelling what's there knowing what's going on but not really participating just overseeing like the whole um herd and, and knowing what's going on but not actually being like like they, like the rest of the herd. And like, for example, I know Bo Martana got his deer last year. I helped him, you know, we got it on a deer drive, but um, it was an eight or nine year old deer, you know, pushing 160. And I had a camera on a community scrape, probably a hundred yards from where we bumped his deer. And he killed it maybe a couple hundred yards past where we bumped it. And my camera on a, a cell cam, and I haven't picked. I didn't pick that deer up for probably. Uh, let's see, shot it in early December, probably, probably early November. So it was over a month that this deer lived near this. And I mean, I had every deer and every deer hit in this scrape. I'm assuming that lived there except him, and he lived right there. Huh. So it just shows, like, and there's a lot written about scrapes and how deer use them. And I always talk about having another tool in your toolbox. The stuff that you learn from any video, any magazine, anybody that talks, whether it's me or whoever, it's not always gonna work in your situation. Every situation is different to where, you know, like Bo's deer, he didn't, I had him on that scrape maybe one time and he just kind of breezed through it, smelled it. And I, I, I knew he lived there. You know, I was following him for a few years, but. He, you know, and you hear about community scrapes and, and how, you know, if you want that's the best hunting mature deer and this and that, but this deer didn't, he didn't participate in those scrapes. And I know all the does knew about them. So that's just one example of how these deer, some of these mature deer aren't participating in the rest of the, you know, what the rest of the herd is doing. Uh, but they are there and they know what's going on and they're really in tune with everything. But I think it's the pressure, and it's just like um, if you if like you got bit by a dog as a child, you're gonna be a, you're gonna react to dogs differently than maybe someone else. I mean, maybe he had a traumatic experience in his life that matured deer to where he's he's living differently. Maybe you don't know what it is. It's like why do other people think the way they do and do the things they do? You really don't know how they've been treated or how they lived their life or this and that you don't know but like i said everything you read it's always good to have another tool in your toolbox but if you really dissect 
what's going on. That's why I like to get down to one animal and, and dissect him because I want to know what he does. Um, there are different, definitely similarities in, in mature deer, you know, but it's not always black and white, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, I like using analogies. I know Bill been using them lately just in general, and I think that's the best way for people to learn, you know, how they can associate what you're trying to say to, to where they're at, you know. Um, it's like if you wanted to I talk sometimes and say, if you wanted to hunt me or hunt a human, if you were out, if you went, you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to McDonald's because that's where everybody eats. Well, if I don't eat a McDonald's, then you're not going to see right. me there. You know, you have to change your strategy to like even like in different parts of the country, the deer, you know, they live, they inhibit different, all kind of regions in this country, just like people live all over the world people in china people in mexico and you know like people in china use chopsticks to eat you know and if you didn't if you thought everybody used forks to eat if you're going to go hunt a person you're going to go to the local place that sells forks and you're not going to you know if you're in china you're not going to do any good because they're buying chopsticks you know what i mean it's just yeah. kind of you can relate to you know to where you know they're all individuals you know so right so like in the the example of Bozbach, like there could have easily just been another, you know, eight or nine year old buck who maybe had different experiences or, or different personality to the point where, you know, maybe he's living in the same size area, but maybe he's going and hitting that scrape. Whereas the other deer didn't just because they had different personalities. Yeah. That, that's what I've, I've learned the most. I mean, um, is they don't, they're, they're different. They're definitely different. A lot of deer tend to be some of them mature deer will, tend to be nocturnal in the smaller, you know, I think the mature deer definitely have that time a day or two that they are kind of out of their mind and you could see them anywhere. Um, but um, I think that some deer will tend to be nocturnal through the rut, even to find the does at night. Um, it's, uh, and, and like we were talking about the deer sign, sometimes you get into a pressured area that reading the sign isn't always all you need to know it's the hunting pressure that that um is involved on those deer and the sign might say the deer's there but it might be the middle of night you know yeah. what i mean yeah. um it's it's something you got to learn you know and that's what i like about the challenge of hunting public land is learning what's going on not just reading the sign but how is and we just talked about before we got on the air is how I kind of follow the hunters a little bit myself to see where they're at and kind of see a guy parked here. And okay. I I'm, I'm assuming he's, if you look at the general population, okay, he's he parked here, he's down in here, you know, or after he leaves, I'll go see where he was, you know, uh, just to see, but I can kind of judge where he's at and, and it really don't bother me because I really intimately know the area that I'm hunting or I try to, you know, like I said, a lot of my places, and that's why sometimes it takes me a few years since I do travel to different states to learn an, uh, an area state because it takes you time to learn that area just like a deer would grow up. And some of these deer that I'll find now, um, like a new deer that I might find, it's kind of like, man, you know, you're just learning. You want to kind of hunt them. You know, say you just find a deer in September and you want to hunt that deer, but you really, maybe it's a new area that you hunt it, you, that an area, yeah, that you, you just started hunting or you just started scouting or whatever and you find a big deer, chance of you maybe getting them that first first year is tough because you really got to, 
and you'll learn more every year that you hunt there and follow that deer but you got to learn that land like he intimately knows that land to, to be i think successful you know because like last year i kind of got onto a deer and i was kind of a new deer and i knew very little about him and um it was just a tough year i mean i didn't know where to start you know what i mean i needed time i needed shed hunting and, and now i'm starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together so it is tough when you do travel and go to different states to, to get on a mature deer and try to, to be successful i just like the challenge I, I there's a lot of times i've been on public land and there'll be a fence private land like right close by or something and i'm like you know but i like the challenge of being on that public and the deer might come across the fence and do the public and then go back to the private whenever it is and that. But it's like, there's a lot of times like, man, if I was over there, I know I can kill him, you know, but it's to me, it's not all about killing that. That ain't the end all, you know, it's like catching him when he's on that public and beating him in his own game. You know yeah. what I mean? But it does take time to, to learn an animal, you know, cause it's, you can read maps and, and, and that, but till you get out there and keep asking your, your yourself questions, keep hiking, you know, um, springtime shed hunting and and i try to ingrain not just you know what i what i see i take pictures of but like i try to visually have a map in my head or see that um lay of the land or in that like the deer itself i know before there was maps and anything i would just on smaller piece of land i but even in a bigger land up in pennsylvania i remember i would just walk like i would connect the dots i, I remember in my head you know, and I was pretty good at, um, like orienteering where I was, you know, and compared to like this scrape over here or this, uh, bedding area over here. And, and I would myself, sometimes I would walk, okay, this is how far I am from this scrape. And I would walk, find where these rubs are till I can make my own map in my head, how I see it as the deer did. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like when I see other people hunting on the land, I'm, I'm hunting on, it doesn't really bother me because I think we talked about before we got on, on the air is a lot of the people that are hunting. I pretty much know the lay of land way better than them. And they don't really concern me because the majority of the population of people that are hunting aren't there to hunt that mature animal. And they're, they're following the, the general deer population. And a lot of them are hoping for a chance at a deer to where I don't like leaving anything up to hope. I'd like to know what's going on in the woods, you know, just whether it's hunting or just in life. It's like, I'm, man, I'm, I hope, I hope I'll be rich one day, or, you know, I hope I'll be this. And that you're not saying much about your, your work ethic, you know, for hoping something, but if you work hard and you get to learn, learn that, you know, then, and know what's going on, then it doesn't phase me that a guy's hunting here, you know? And like I said, I, I'm kind of different. I think, I think, I think differently. I think, I learned from the deer and not always. And, and that's another thing I've done back when I was younger is I didn't uh, get into, I did when I was really young, read magazine articles and learn about deer, everything I could, you know, find on deer. And I, it kind of went the wrong way because it didn't, it wasn't relating to the deer that I hunted where I hunted. So I, I think in my twenties, I just started learning from that end of them animals myself and follow them in and learn as much as I can to where now, you know, and, and it is deceiving for a hunter. I mean, he can read the sign on public land, but it's not, it's like a facade. Like here's the smoke and mirrors, here's the rubs and scrapes, but you know, and they're going to hunt that, but they, sometimes they don't put the effort into, you know, you get near a scrape, deers, 
usually going to send check in a lot of places that I hunt the wind swirls. You got to be ready for that. I mean, you got to, and, and you got to be on your a game when you go into hunting mature deer, because they're on there. This is their life depends on it. So you have to overcome them and you have to, it can't be just like haphazardly. You right. know, I got a lot of, I get a, like, I'm going down one way, Garrett, and I think about this, but in, and it takes me into a situation where I've hunted out of state a lot and I'll be hunting mature deer and say you got six, seven days and you try to hunt every day. And I've learned that sometimes you can't do that because to, to do everything right, to, to get the edge, you have to find that um, angle on them big mature deer, do everything right for five, six days and not bumping this and that it's kind of taxing mentally and physically, you know, you, but you have to, you, you walk that fine line and giving him his odds, you know, but also trying to find that angle. It's a whole different ball game because them mature deer don't make a lot of mistakes with their, you know, they like during a rut is when you have a chance. And a lot of it, I think is randomness. I think they live with randomness. And I know we've talked um, maybe on a phone one time, a lot of the deer I feel use these mature deer use random patterns where they can't be there's always some patterns in their their life that you can find but for the most part you know especially in this bigger land um you know in different different times of the year they'll inhibit different areas whether it's for the does and this and that but sometimes movement from you know maybe point a to point b might be a random route just to um just for the reason that so they're not patterned you know so they're kind of like ghosts where he might he might be in a certain little you know core area, but he's not leaving dense enough sign over and over again to where you can just walk in and be like, oh, here it is. This is the obvious yeah. thing. Like he just he might be there and you never get to take a really fine tooth comb to even realize it. And then sometimes I learn now with like with cameras. Sometimes like sometimes we rely so much on cameras that we're putting them cameras out and waiting for that fresh hot sign. He's in there to go in there, and sometimes you're already behind him he's already under the next it might be he was there at that time you know and then he might be so they they'll have different beds and they'll they'll travel to different locations it's it's rare it's like sometimes i'll find them in a the winter you know um to where they're really bedding they're exhausted they need to save energy to find just staying at one bedding area but there's a lot of randomness you know involved in, in the mature deer um and in, in, in their life i think to help them survive where it's not all just black and white and and this is where i bed this is where i eat yeah and i'm talking about deer that i know about in bigger not also bigger land but smaller tracks but with with hunting pressure i think i think the hunting i think hunting human pressure is the worst thing for deer i do i do believe that it's um it really hampers them worse than maybe like coyotes or something like that i know i know they live with them every day and, and there's a predator and even for a mature deer they could take take a mature deer down but i think there's just something about them humans that just really mess mess with their mind that they don't they don't like the pressure that you know they're gonna they still have to live and breed and, and that's why i talk about a lot of times it's finding like a nook and cranny or a seam i call it to where you know you got these deer that know their land so good and where they live and then they know when a car door slams they know where this guy's going to hunt and they know the typical spots that hunters are going to be in and they just they'll live with hunters it's not like they're going to move they know that land so they're so sly 
they're going to live with them hunters in their own on their own terms and they're not going to like it but they're going to live with it and and just walk in areas that um you know that put them away from them humans and like a, like you know just staying away from them you know it might not be the ideal life for them and how they would want to live but this is what they got to do and they're they're so resilient and their will to live is pretty remarkable to where they'll do whatever it takes and they'll live with them humans. So, um, yeah, I think, um, just think outside the box. Um, and I know we talked a couple of minutes before we got on air about an area that I'm kind of looking into that's, uh, there's not much sign. It's, it's kind of, but the one thing is there's a lot of cover. You can't see maybe 50 to 80 yards in like a couple hundred acres. Um, where if I was, to me, I look at it, if I was trailing a deer, whether it be with a rifle or what, I feel like I could never see him because he could just maybe keep doing circles in this, this certain amount of area. And it's kind of like a triangle to where there's hunting pressure all around. There's roads by and there's guys going out this one road. And it's just kind of like it's there, but it's not there. It's right in there with the rest of the herd, but it's satellite in that area. And, and, um, and so that's where he hangs out and the signs are not always there either. You know what I mean? But so, if you use your instincts and, and you learn that land so well, and you know, I'm talking five, six, eight years and I'm just dabbling in this area, but I know the area around there and I know where I'll see mature deer. I'll know where I see hunters and I'll, I'm, you know, and I have good luck when, even when my friends come up and hunt with me, cause it's like, this is a good spot, you know, and it's not always, you know, because of rubs and signs, just because nobody's there, they're they're in amongst the rest of the herd. They're there, but um, the hunter hunting pressure is not there either. Right? Yeah. You know? So in the in the case like that spot where you you have an area where it's just kind of pocketed and you got pressure coming from multiple sides, would those places that are closer to where those guys are hunting by the roads do they tend to have more of the just general deer sign, more of the does, younger bucks? And yeah. those guys are hunting the sign. They think they have a chance, but the reality yeah. is that that mature animal is he, he's off the edge. He's not right on the edge of that sign. He's, he's just kind of in his own area where he can monitor all those various directions and, and then just kind of move up and, and lay, lay sign at night, you know, if you wanted to. Yeah, I think some of these deer even maybe hang out. Like I'm thinking they even hang out near the road. If I got this straight east west road and, and he's just hanging out and he maybe a lot of these deer will feed along the road or what have you and, and he's like maybe at night or going in the morning. If I it was me, if I was a mature deer, I'd be hanging along the road in the morning because I know the hunters are gonna come. But I know behind me, I know where I need to be. But that's another thing I always talk about is I like to know what's going on in the deer's environment or whatever, as they do too they like to know so a lot of the mature deer will stay by a road to where you know seven eight right around daylight hey um that's when the hunters are going to come in or in the evening but like especially in the morning i, I would think and i a lot of times i'll find spots where man i gotta park a mile up the road because i don't want him even know i'm coming up the road and shut my car deer and getting out because then it's just like uh-oh yeah and i've here to just bed down and stop like don't move a muscle till it might be eight hours till you leave. But, um, I feel like a lot of them deer could hang out. So 
Um, I might even hang, hang out myself along the road to maybe catch that deer, but I would get in before daylight and, um, or like further back, catch them going down into the woods. But yeah, just think about all that stuff. Think about what you do, where you want to park. Think about, try to, you don't know exactly where the deer are all the time, but where could they be, could, where could they be, you know, and, and take them spots where the deer could be. And then think about how you want to get in and out and where you want to be. So if a deer could be here or there, you don't know that he's there, but if he's a chance, he's going to don't, you know, take that into consideration. Then you might have to park somewhere different. You know what I mean? And, um, but, and it's always good to, um, like when I hunt out there, it's another thing, like, you know, you got to, maybe if you go to a different state and you got a week, you know, a lot of times they'll just hunt maybe four days and, and scout or maybe do like a, a hunt and, you know, get in a tree and get down and peek around, take a little walk, you know, see if you can find some better sign. I mean, fresh sign's always the best and maybe drop a camera. If you feel like no one's been in there, you know, then maybe it's a spot to hunt. But, um, yeah, them, them mature deer are definitely individuals. It usually takes a few years to, but I've even followed deer that, um, move year to year. I think through the breeding season is one, like, year to them and then they recover and then as the next year uh starts they kind of they'll jockey for positions maybe you know one deer grew a little bit maybe has a bigger rack and and they'll kind of maybe summer you know other deer die they'll kind of summer in different areas and, and then in the fall they'll you know they'll move again um to where they maybe they'll bump off and another buck's area you know it's I, I find the mature deer some of the real older ones kind of you know they say their home range gets smaller smaller but some of the real older ones i feel will kind of stay steady but when you get to you know i follow like some four three to four year olds they're not sure still where they want to live there might be a rat some of them three or four year olds might be hard to pattern because they don't know themselves they might have a good rack but they don't know themselves where they want to be where they're comfortable you know and they're still in like fighting for a rank and who they are in society, you know, and, and, but they definitely, there's times I would follow deer in through the winter and know they make it. And then the following year, I put summer into fall, put cameras out. I can't even find them. It's like, and then like, I go a mile away. I'm like, here he is like a following year. I'm like, he's over here. How do you know, I, you used to live here. Maybe he, he found something he liked. Maybe he got pressured there. And that's what's nice about following individual deer because you can learn a lot to where you're not hunting the general population, even if it's like, so the last few years I had some good deer, like on that 140, 150 inch deer, but nothing to really sink my teeth into to where I kind of had maybe half a dozen or so that I knew where they live. And it wasn't, it was just kind of like, um, I wasn't, you know, in like tunnel vision because I didn't know which I didn't one didn't stand out. I wanted the biggest, you know, mature, I'm looking for like 160, 170 inch deer. So I wasn't like following them, um, and putting all my time into them. I was just kind of following this one a little bit and that one a little bit. And I was kind of scatterbrained where I wanted to hunt because, um, I didn't have one deer to focus on, but when you focus on one deer, um, you can learn his habits and, you know, that's, um, I like a deer that can, live in an area that he can spread you know the bigger tracts of land to where you know he's not going on private 
you know, he's, he's going to live his whole life on public land. But, um, you know, and then even the smaller tracts of land, the deer, you know, there's certain times that you might be better off hunting, like off times, maybe in the December, January. I think uh, I have luck myself um, with deer that time of year because um, the pressure's down and, and then they have to feed and, and recover and they might be on this public land where everybody just kind of gave up, you know, and then yeah. sometimes that's why I don't like filling my tag because I get to hunt. It's not like I, I don't have to kill a deer. I don't care if I kill a deer or not. I just enjoy following them through the year and, and learn it. Then I get to the point where I am now and I just know so much because I followed so many deer. And I, you know, I've killed some deer, but I've killed a lot of deer actually, but I didn't, it's not like, um, I didn't have anything to prove. If I went all season, like last year, I pulled my bow back once, you know, but I'm like, man, it was successful. I learned a lot. I learned a lot in this state and that state. And it's always evolving and changing. You know, as a human, you always want to grow your muscle, your brain's a muscle and you want to keep learning. And that's what I like about following these deer and these different bucks in different states, different habitat is it's always evolving and changing, you know, where they live and, and how the forest grows every year. And, and it's just a learning curve that never ends. You know, it could kind of shorten a little bit, but it's, it's just great. To, um, but it is, it's, um, it's definitely the mature deer are definitely other than the, than the rest of the population, you know? Um, so when, when you would say, for instance, you, you mentioned, you know, a few times finding a deer, whether it was, just keeping tabs on, on one or finding one that you wanted to go after that you thought was special and, you know, picking them up in certain locations. Maybe they move, maybe they're in the same areas they've been, you know, the last couple of years, but I guess as sort of a step one, um, it, it sounds like you're just through shed hunting and various other times of the year, walking around, you're learning the lay of the land. It sounds like that's absolutely vital so that when you do find a deer, you kind of know you have a starting place of, of what to look for, but then, beyond just kind of learning the lay of the land, what are you doing as sort of a, a first step to, to acquire a target, to find a specific mature deer? Is it all cameras? Is it some glassing over clear cuts? Uh, how are you, I guess, finding uh, any given deer to, to start that journey? Pretty much cameras, you know, through the summer, I like to drop cameras, whether it's here or another state, you know, maybe, early spring maybe let them soak all summer where i think that the deers if there's a deer living if that's part of his core area i feel like you can catch them and take an inventory on what what's living in that area um and even some of these deer i uh i run mineral licks where they're legal in pa i mean some of these deer even some of these mature deer i'll, I'll catch them i don't know i'm not sure if it's from the hunting pressure or the just they are other than the rest of the deer herd some of these mature deer won't hit mineral licks that these other does and yearlings and two-year-olds hit. They'll just walk by it. You know, they know damn well it's there, but they, um, they don't associate with them. I, I'm just not sure if it's all pressure related and they're just that, you know, if it's, if they smell that scent, you know, maybe that's with the lick and associate that with right. maybe a human. I don't know if, if it's just, they, they're that other, they, they're that like, like Bill said, they, that's the best. Like it's a different species, you know, I don't, uh, I only deal with them like in November when I, when I need to breed, you know, but uh, definitely cameras. And if it ain't a mineral lick, I try to put it maybe where there's, you know, summertime, you know, they're going to want to feed. And usually it's maybe clear cuts. Um, 
maybe some open areas in the woods or maybe close to water. I like to have water around because it gets hot in the summer. But take an inventory on the deer population, see what's there, see what you want to hunt. And then I, I'd like to get, get them, leave them out for a couple months through the summer. But I'd like to pick them up around August, mid-August, late August, before they kind of, you know, the days get shorter and they, you know, they start their gears into shedding velvet and breeding. And to me, that's all association with humans getting into their woods. So I'd like to try to get out, get cameras maybe off them summer spots to where they might have been feeding, see what's there, and start moving them cameras in August to maybe like uh, maybe something to where they might hit scrapes or rubs or steal maybe a different uh, type of forage mast maybe um, to where you're going to catch them through to September and October month. And, and hopefully you can randomly ke- check them through October Um I try to get some cameras in areas where I can check the winds right or whatever without messing the deer up or sometimes just a road crossing or, or you need to be able to check in cameras and there's some that you'll drop and you won't be able to check them because of the wind or, you know, you get close to a bed area you really don't want to spook them. Maybe that's a camera you, you'll let go a little bit longer. But, um, yeah, I like to take an inventory through the summer, then kind of move my cameras and scout for that deer through september and october and, and since I'm, my occupation i'm an excavation i'm an excavator i have an excavation company but i have a hard time getting in the woods in october because that's when i'm busiest so me I, i'm focusing on the rut you know i'd like to get more time in october but so i'm kind of still scouting um all through october I might jump in a tree here and there but sometimes i'm not even ready you know um, unless I do got to find a deer that I can kind of um, zero in on that maybe I know where he's at, but it's been a few years since I, uh, you know, in these bigger pieces of land that's with a lot of randomness, a lot of browse, not so much uh, concentration of food sources and a lot of cover. It's, it's hard to um, really narrow them down. Um, so I try to use the rut. I mean, I think, I'd like to get more October hunting in um, just for the fact that the pressure's lower. Yeah. Um, pressure, and try to get some more hunting in then, maybe some more scrape. I, th- I think the peak of the you know, scrape is probably middle end of October to where, and like I said, um, if there's a lot of randomness and a lot of, not a lot of people in the woods, you can maybe hunt them scrapes, catch them deer you know, on a cold front, keep an eye on stuff like that. You might catch him as long as, I mean, you go in to that area knowing that he's probably going to check it on a downwind, make sure you can um, get set up on him to where he's not going to win you, you know. Um, I I think hunting, that's why I do so much scouting even through October. It's like, uh, it's kind of like I've talked before in other podcasts where it's like I kind of relate to like a, um, like a project prosecution lawyer to where you know he has a case he's trying to prosecute somebody and it's like you don't just get he doesn't just get a little bit of info and and, you know take it to court he he gets gets as much information as he can before he makes his move because he wants you know he wants to you don't have a lot of chances you get one chance so like that's when that's how i can i relate that to like deer like when i'm following one individual deer or a few deer it's like i um get all that info tallied up and, and cross all you know my t's dot all my eyes to where it's like i do obsess over it and i find out as much as i can then i go in for the kill just like that lawyer would you know so 
so like a good analogy, you know, for people to know kind of how I am and how I look at it. Because I think hunting is the worst thing you could do to a mature deer is hunt him and him find out about you being acting like that predator. Maybe um, you're hunting and he smells you and he don't see you in that tree. But to me, I, I feel like that really like freaks them out. That really uh, messes with their gears to where that's an actual, that's a predator, like, and it's a human. And um, I think that's the worst pressure you can put on a deer is hiding like that. Um, when you're scouting and you're hiking through the woods and making noise, taking your dog, and you're giving them a couple, um, like, he can hear you, he can see you, or he can smell you, he can see you. It's not so much of a threat as a predator, too. It's not, it's kind of like, okay, I know you're there and he's going to run and give you your space. He's going to listen from a distance and he's going to probably come back in and hang out. But if you make some noise and you're scouting and talking, sometimes I, I talk, like I tell people, I said, make some noise when you go in there. Like one guy messaged me and said, hey, you know, I seen this deer along the road. I want to go in there. I said, I said, act, it was July. I said, act like you're picking berries, you know, walk, talk, take someone with you. And, and like when here and there, picking berries i said look around find the scrapes find some rubs drop some cameras you know park your vehicle right there not like you're hunting you know go in and do that and then get in your vehicle and, and, and leave and he's like okay that guy's picking berries but you were picking berries but you're dropping you're really scouting them, you yeah, know so yeah. that's why I, to scout 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 and then go in for the kill you know I'm, sometimes most of the time i'm and then sometimes I scout so much and you know, I forget to hunt, like shoot my bone out. I'm just like so in tune to learning these animals. It's like, man, the season's going by. I haven't even hunted because I've been just learning from these animals, you know. But that, that's a big thing is going in and hunting a deer. Um, and sometimes you don't know if he smelled you. So you're like, you're sitting in a tree and you're like, man, did he smell me? So what do you do next? You're like, I, I, me. I just leave because I'm like, I don't take a chance and say, oh, I'm going to keep hunting a stand. Maybe he didn't smell me. I don't want to take a chance like that animals. He's not taking a chance with his life. You know, it's like, no, you know, and that's another reason why you have a bunch of spots. Like, and I try to have more deer to go after. Like, you know, I don't have that one certain deer, but even if I do have that one certain deer that I'm going after, I'm going to have a, a bunch of destinations pinned to where I can hunt them in case this one spot. See, I do, do go in for a kill and say this one spot maybe he maybe maybe i think he smelled me or you know there's times i've been in a tree and the wind shifted on me and, and i would sit there and it is never you know the wind shifted to where you think he's coming from guess what he's never going to come that way but there's times i did it and i sat there and he never did come but then it's like man i put all that scent down there now does he know i'm here you know right. so i'll now, if the wind shifts, I just get down and leave. I don't care how scent free I am, you know. Then I can always hunt that another day. But I have a def I have a bunch of different spots picked out that I can try to um, get on that animal, you know. In case one spot goes sour, you got another spot you could try and, and stuff like that. Like I said, even how they randomly move and have different beds and, and stuff like that, you need to be like them, kind of dotted out you know, on a map to where, you know, you can catch him. Um, and I'm in my head just thinking of more of the area that I have been hunting in northern PA where it's really flat and gradual, and a lot of cover, you know, 
But like I said, this is just a tool in, in your toolbox or anybody that listens. This, you know, um, it's not, it might be a different situation that they're in, but maybe they would find themselves in this situation say, okay, I, John said he did this in this area. Maybe I can relate to that, you know. But like I said, a lot of the stuff you learn from people, just put it, don't, don't think I made a mistake of thinking that it was black and white. This is how you hunt a scraper. This is when you hunt a rubber. This is why you hunt a bed or when it's, it's not always, uh, will work in the situation you're at because there's so many variables out there, you know, that these deer are dealing with in different parts of the state or whatever country. Um, but just know that it happened in other situations and you can maybe relate to it and, and use it in, in your situation, you know? Right. So if you were to like, let's say you, you run some trail cameras and you, you find just a, a really nice deer that you want to go after. And, you know, maybe there's other deer mixed in with the, the photos or whatnot, but if you just get like that one picture, it, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm at least close. I'm in, I'm in the ballpark. And then from that point, you're going to just do scouting missions, not necessarily hunt at that point but do some more scouting missions, try and pick that area apart a little bit more, maybe drop a couple more cameras in areas where you might uh, potentially get that deer on camera and just try and get as much intel as possible. Maybe taking, you know, several, several trips and maybe hopefully getting several more pictures before you even formulate enough of a plan to where you're going to climb a tree. Yeah. I like to even drop, I don't want to rely on one camera. There's times I put one camera facing North and no deer would come. And and another time I face one North and East and it's like, the north one don't have camera and this east one has all the deer on it you don't know exactly we're going to walk um and a lot of them mature deer won't walk on deer trails you know sometimes they do sometimes they don't so there's another piece of that randomness i'm talking about to where i'll take three i'll usually take if it's just like even a scouting mission i'll take three or four cameras in i usually drop one two you know in in, in the same area to catch them kind of like almost like a tripwire, you know, you catch him here or there, you know, okay, he come through. But also when you get in near the season, you want to set these cameras up to where you don't want to, you want to take invent, you want to, you want to get more, not inventory, you know, he's there, but you, you want to get more knowledge of how he's living his life, but you don't want to, you don't want to be the person that is uh, altering him having him alter his patterns because of what you're doing, you know? Yeah. So set your cameras at and accordingly to where, okay, I think he, I think he's bedding over in this bowl or this ridge. I'm not going near there, but maybe if the wind's right, you know, and you know, it gotta be right. You're like summer scout going in a fall. Um, I don't even want to let him know that I'm learning about him, plop some cameras, catch him coming out of that area. Um, know where the mast is. And, and I talk a lot about going in at nighttime and checking cameras um, that maybe they're in close to where he, maybe he's he's bedding um, or maybe on a ridge he might be feeding on at night on maybe a acorn ridge um, or maybe it's maybe a thermos drop and or, or whatever it may be or the wind's blowing. You say there's a creek in the bottom and the wind's blowing up the hill. You think he's up there. There's a lot of times I would go in at like nine, ten o'clock at night to where I feel they were up and moving and, you know, they wouldn't associate. They, a lot, a lot of these deer um, don't really associate that with much danger because they, they, um, they're curious by nature and they've never really been 
had any issues at nighttime with humans. I've, there's a lot of times I've walked up to deer at nighttime, you know, yeah. um, to where I feel like they turn off their senses. They're, pre- you know, like humans, it's just like they throw whatever's happened at night. I feel like they throw it out the window. I come daylight right around, you know, hour before daylight. It's a whole different story. So there's a lot of times I'll, I'll do a lot of scouting at night as far as pulling cameras and that to get that intel that I need that I don't want to mess up during the daytime. Um, but that's a that's a good, especially getting around the you know September and October hunting seasons in. You know and I'll I'll do a lot of that at night. I mean there's times I've hunted. Uh, I was hunting in the Midwest out one year and. and uh, late season and it was a piece of public land that has been bat- beaten battered all year from hunters and there was an ag field to the north and the public to the south the ag field was private and i and i got on the edge of that ag field you know catching the deer coming out it was after about seven days of really cold brutal weather so i know the deer needed a feed um i knew they were going to come to that ag and uh I got in a tree, maybe an hour or two, but there was deer all through there. And I remember these doe, this few, this doe family came and just was looking up in trees, looking to the left, right. They were all staggered, smelling, stomping. I'm like, the wind was right, but I'm like, holy shit, these things are like, these guys, these girls been hunted. And I knew no mature deer was going to, uh, buck was going to come out because, I mean, they're onto this gig, you know, they had to feed, but they were all really like, yeah. zoned in on this whole gig that and that's the same thing think outside the box this is what everybody did you know it's like typical so i just thought outside the box and i said well i'm going to go up in the timber maybe an hour and a half before daylight and i'm going to get up in a tree on that ridge and i did that the next day and i remember the snow was frozen crunchy and i walked oh maybe 20 minute walk and I'm like, holy shit, I, it's just like so noisy. It's like unreal. I'm like, every deer in the county hears me. So I got up in there on that ridge. And I was, it was like minus seven degrees. I remember it was January. And I just sat on the ground. Then I finally got my tree stand an hour after daylight. And here they come in from that ag field. Different, totally different personality to these doe. And then there were some bucks. I think I shot at one and missed one. But it was like night and day i mean the, the, the ones that came out to the field the evening before and the ones that came in the timber the next morning it was like they didn't give a shit about they weren't worried about any pressure they never been bothered like no one ever yeah. hunted them then interesting you know what i mean so it's it's something that and i've been successful a few years doing that in january going out hunting before daylight getting in a tree it's kind of crazy mentally and physically it's a little bit ridiculous but it works you know and even like i said the sound getting in there i just crunched through the woods on it like two three inches of snow and you know hard crust it like <laughs> i'm like oh my god but they walk a couple bucks walk right by me in the morning when i was sitting on the ground they didn't even look at me and then you know after it kind of slowed down i got up in a tree and it was a whole different scenario you know so it's not as far as pressure, it's not, it's also when, when are the deer being pressured? So I think a lot now I'd like to try to hunt more in October because the pressure is 
really high through November. Everybody wants to hunt a rut, and I've had some success in other states hunting outside of the, the rut when I feel nobody was out there. And, and that's why I like the late season. No, not as many people are out there, but, you know, after they, they need to feed more and, and recover, you can kind of really narrow down. You can, if you can catch one um, where he's hanging out, chance he's not far away, and it really can uh, zero in on an animal. And I like using the snow, too, to follow them deer. I've learned so much tracking over off, over the years off of people that tracked and, and it's just, it paints an awesome picture to follow a deer in the snow and see how he, how he walks through the forest. And that's where you, he ain't even hit a deer trail. This thing I followed for half a mile, he never touched one deer trail. You know what I mean? Um, but they're so interesting, you know, but they are other than mature deer. So yeah, not, you know, what time of year is, when, when is the pressure? When are these deer being affected? But yeah, like you were saying, I'm, you know, into October, you know, get your cameras, learn more about that animal, but also don't pressure them. Don't take a chance pressuring them because um, you want to set it up yourself up for success to hunt in November. You're trying to build a picture of the personality of whatever deer you're after, and you're trying to figure out how he operates and how he moves through the woods. And let's say there's not snow on the ground yet. So, and let's say it's been like a dry October, November. So like you might be able to see leaves kicked up in the, in the forest, but mm-hmm. it's tough to like get an actual track size or something like that. So you're just, you're kind of trying to piece together as much as you can, but let's say, let's say you're, you're looking at trail cameras and maybe you have one that is facing a scrape and you're getting every deer except for that one that you're after. And then you get that one other camera that's not that far away, but he's like that. You get that deer on that camera then you, you probably start to piece together, okay, maybe this deer is one of those ones who acts more like, you know, somewhat of a hermit. And if I want to get close enough to him, then maybe I can't, like hunting hunting the sign isn't necessarily going to help in that scenario. But perhaps by looking at where the rest of the sign is in that woods, taking a step back and thinking, if, if, if I were going to try and monitor where the sign is with expending the least amount of energy as possible, and look at where that would be on the map. Maybe that's the place you, you go and investigate next. Yeah, it, he's he's there. I call them satellites. He knows what's going on with the rest of the population, but sometimes you don't participate. But, yeah, I mean, if he's maybe he's not hitting that scrape till after dark, he's close. And, and another thing is, like, there's so many times I sat in my tree stand and be like, hey, I know the deer I'm hunting is, like, bedded down. <laughs> you know, because you, if you look at them, they're – they put weight on in October and they don't move. I mean, they'll move a little bit, but it's really tough, you know, to get, um, get in close to them. Um, you know, I, I tend to believe the deer move like they're crepuscular to where they right around the dark hours, morning and evening, they're going to move. So, and it's at low light, the deer, immature deer, like at dark, even in like, you know, um, maybe some thermal covered type pines and they don't like being in that open and, and they like that dark, you know, they're feel comfortable and around that time of day or, or that type of habitat. Um, but they're always, I feel a lot of these deer on, like you get into, into rut. I feel like a lot of these deer, a lot of these mature deer, I find some of them, won't participate in that first peak breeding um, in areas that I found 
higher doe populations where they um, there's just too much nonsense, too much activity. They're over here on on the side, you know, and um, even in PA last year, I know some of these deer, you know, because of the pressure, they tend to be nocturnal even during their breeding season. So, uh, and some of these deer that are seven, eight years old, I feel they've done this for years. They haven't, they, they, they move right around dark, but it's, it's like a direct line. This is where they're headed. You know, they know where they want to go to check the does at night, but for the most part, um, I think a lot of these deer survived from being, not being dumb, you know, and, and staying hidden during a day or, or breeding undercover and, and stuff like that. It, it's rare to see them just wacky, you know, and if you're dependent on that, um, your, your odds are going to be pretty low. So it, try to, you hunt so many hours, you put so many hours in and you're unsuccessful and this deer lives every year. So there is a place that he is. You got to get in, try to get in close to where he's at, you know? And I found some of these deer over the years, these mature deer are so confident in the places they live. Um, and it works for them. But like I said, the, what I'm talking about right now is maybe the complete opposite I talked about earlier to where one deer will live and, you know, maybe during a rut in this time of year, he's going to live here and do this. Um, because it's been working for him years in a row. But, you know, it, I look at it like a balanced scale, Garrett. Like, for the scale to drop this way, you're going to put weight on this side. That's what we're doing in this situation. But, hey, I need something else to happen. Guess what? I got to do a 180. I got to do the complete opposite. I got to put weight over here to get a, get something to happen, you know, to where me talking now is like, yeah, this one deer might be living in this one area because it's working for him. You know, but I also talked about how they use randomness and they're not um, in that one area. So it is, I contradict sometimes and people say I do, but it is because I just, in my head, situations pop in my head that where I did find a deer and he was, you know, kind of localized and, and, but it's not, he might be localized for a couple of days, then he's on to another spot and he's localized there. But for instance, one deer, one deer I hunted years ago on public ground, he was bedded down by a stream and he he come up across this ridge um public heavy public hunted land and um he would travel up and down this uh from the creek he'd go up to the ridge cross and go down to the other creek at night and chase does over in, in in that area there was does over there but i remember it was an old power line that went up and from from the creek up to that ridge um so it kind of went perpendicular you know from the creek yep. You know, to that ridge and it was just a little bit it was overgrown a little bit he would use that you know and i hunted on the edge and one year i found him and i got he walked right up that thick stuff and he utilized that and he laid down at the bottom of that creek and then uh i moved to where i could see into that little bit of thick stuff and i remember um he come by he's maybe high 27 point and he went up and there was actually like a little saddle in that ridge. And that's where he crossed, right? But I remember I shot another deer and I told my buddy, I said, that deer travels. He lays down by the creek and he crosses this ridge. So my buddy caught him, you know, maybe a week later after I shot a deer, he got, I told my buddy to get there. And that deer crossed that ridge 
He's like, man, I was a big seven point. I said, I know. Um, I said, he runs that um, up and over that hill right there. And my buddy, oh, my buddy was pulling his bow up with his bow rope and that buck come under, you know, come down that power line and just cross, using that, you know. So the following year, I think I set a blind up there. And uh, for some reason, I didn't, so I could see into that little bit of thick uh, power line. For some reason, I didn't hunt there much that year. So the, the year after that, I just, so now this is three years, I come back and I got to that blind and it was like, I never pulled it out of the woods. I was just on to other places and yep. that blind laying there, it was flat, you know, it just like a pancake because the weather blew it over. And I, I, and it was, I said, well, I'm going to go try this blind. And I, I walked that ridge and I had to come down along that power line to get to that blind. And another thing, when I left that ridge, it was so quiet and calm. I, I walked like a deer from the ridge and I think I even had a grunt call with me, but I mean, I knew he was probably, it was so, it was like a bowl on that side, the creek, you know, and that's probably way, why he laid down by the creek because he could hear it all around. But I remember yeah. I snuck way down to my blind, like, and I put the blind up and almost like a deer, maybe thrashing around and set that blind up. I get in there and right here, right at five, it was five twenty or something, you know, right before dark, he got up, he was laying down. I hear that. So yeah, this is, this is what he did for three years. He come up that hill and, um, I shot him at maybe 25 yards, but, um, this was a pattern to him where he lived on this public ground and he was, I don't know, five, six years old and he was still a seven point, you know, and, uh, but it's a story that just popped in my mind. How this deer did the same thing probably, but he lived there. That was comfortable. And, but there's other deer that don't, and not saying it was all year, maybe just during a rut he lived there. Right. You know, because we were in there that year. But it, you can find patterns, and in, in I feel like that pattern was derived from the pressure that he encountered because he was, it was November, I think it was like November 8th, 10th, where you think deer just running dumb all around the countryside. And I remember he got up probably the last five minutes of light, like he did to previous years you know what i mean like that's how he learned to live and he knew he was safe to be, you know that whole where he laid he could hear all he could hear all up the hill and he heard me like if i walked in like a human I, that's another thing like getting into your spot he would have been never come up there and i remember and i've heard it from many mature deer like they cough they're so confident in what they're doing and it works so many years it's like so nonchalant because they know they're so sure of themselves because they don't take, take chances with their life but um yeah, the, for that instance, that deer did the same thing, and he was like, I don't know if he was 100 and pushing 150 inch or something. He was a big seven point for a seven point big buck, but that was a public land deer that, you know. And then I started shed hunting that year. I found after I killed him, I found a shed, and I found his big rubs way over here, and that was where he, I think he went at night and, and scraped and all that. And guy stands and. And he was hunting, you know, and when I remember when I walked out that ridge and I found one rub, I'm like, man, I wonder if any deer even live in here. So it was like another one of them nooks, one of them places you find that nobody pisses with. It's sometimes hard to find, but, um, it's, it's safety. If it's, if you're, if they're in the right, you know, all you had to walk was a couple of, and these deer are like at nighttime that if they have to go five, 600, half a mile at night, they don't have, they will go. They're safe here at this spot. I've seen deer will get up and just walk a mile down a creek bed at night. 
you know, to get to where they want to be, then get back in into maybe where they want to be for the daytime. You know what I mean? But yeah, these mature deer, for sure, you got to be in tight to them October and even up into November. Um, I think October is a good time if if you can get in close to where he's feeding and catch him, you know, bedding and feeding in a centralized area. You can maybe set up on him and catch the wind right. And, and if it's, it goes back to when is the hunt pressure. Maybe you found a deer that the pressure isn't too bad in October. So I'm trying to hunt more in October because I'm out there in November when everybody wants to go and hunt and travel. And, and like I said, a lot of these bucks I find are, are still nocturnal in through October, I mean, November, you know, and, and then I do find them start. Um, I, I feel like some of the mature deer start coming around like into December and into January. You know, I, I feel like they even like that colder weather. It makes them move, you know, as, as a far, as opposed to like November, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors, but, um, yeah, it's, a, it's just, I could probably talk all night, Garrett, in, in, in directions that you didn't even want me to go. <laughs> you asked me one question, like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know, but I'm going this way. Cause that's, that's where my brain's at it, you know? So when you, when you're looking to, you're putting that, that puzzle together and I remember you said that you're, for the most part, you're, you're walking through doing, you know, just boots on the ground trips that are a little bit less, make you seem less like a hunter, more like a hiker or whatnot. Um, I started doing that a lot more last year and it, even in times when I go past cameras, it, it seemed like it didn't really affect the deer that much. Um, whereas if I was, you know, hunting a stand, that would be more impactful than if I just walked through an area and then I'd have a buck, you know, walk past an hour later, right along my same tracks. Um, but if you're, if you're kind of also putting those cameras like a step back to where you think I might, I bet this buck might be better than this ridge or this bowl or whatever. And so you're setting camera a over here, camera B over here, camera C, like kind of around that area to try and confirm whether or not he's using that, that area or not. How do you bridge the gap from saying, okay, I've, I have a little bit more information that makes me, makes it seem like he's using this area to then making that leap to where you're actually confident enough to, to knowing how to pick a tree for that specific hunt. Like how, how do you, how do you bridge that last little bit? Cause you, like you said, you might only get one good shot. So how do you, mm-hmm. at what point do you think you have enough confidence to be able to pick that tree? And what are the last little bits of information that you feel like you need to make that decision? Look at, keep, keep an eye on the, the time. Maybe you're in like a feeding area and you can maybe, you know, track him backwards, you know, to where he's bedding. Sometimes you even get, I get in a tree to, to even, um, scout like hunt, but learn more maybe at a distance like an observational type set yeah yeah like um you could see more than what your cameras can see but i think garrett i've been hunting so much november just because with my work schedule yep i feel like the last six eight years probably since i started my business seven years ago i really didn't hunt october so basically October is tough for me to talk about, you know, you want to get near the, the food nearest bed, but I think maybe I'll fast forward in November to where I think it's more of learning where the, just kind of setting up to where I think he's going to, he knows where these does live in his area or his, you know, range. 
and he's close to them does maybe where not the rest of the population is but he's in um and, and i try to kind of know like get inside his mind saying okay I'm, I'm safe here during the day but i want to go i know does live down here you know and i want to head that way um i feel like it's more um just kind of finding knowing where the does are where where he wants to go to it's not almost always a transition or or a, maybe a funnel it's more of a point a to point b and kind of know where he's going to travel what bars he's going to hit to look for the does you know what i mean i feel like i just want to put myself in them positions just because i haven't I feel like that's his maybe mentality that time of year is looking for the women to where, you know, I'll drop like we're talking like out of October into November to where my cameras would be set up, you know, in the maybe scrapes um, and hopefully catch an, a daylight time to where that's where I'll make my move to know that he's not just coming through at nighttime because that's a if he's. If you find a scrape, it could be something that he's hitting at night. So I think the last thing what you're talking about is maybe knowing that he's doing something in the, in the daytime because that's when you hunt. I think that's probably the biggest thing I look for is daytime activity and where that is because um, that's where you need to be hunting because he'll come, that tells me black and white that he'll come through here in the daytime. And whether it is near a scrape or maybe a creek, you know, maybe he's traveling this creek bottom or maybe he's checking this ridge for does, you know. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is finding that daytime activity. That's like the last thing I would say that works for me that really gives me the green light. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's on daytime because if you get a bunch of nighttime and, and you know he's close to his bedding you know and then after after that he's he's out hiking around at night but getting that daytime picture of him is probably the last um thing that gives me the green light you know to where i'm say okay he's he's on a move at daytime you know so that's 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 very important because if you're getting pictures of deer at nighttime what good is what good is that to you but to, to tell you because to me he could be anywhere at nighttime yeah you yeah. feel like that time of year, the nights are longer, and I feel like sometimes they just hike, especially these mature deer that have to be in solitude all day to where nightfall, you know, right before dark, that, that's when they get up, and it, it's like, I got all night, to, and there's places I wanted to check, whether it's for does or other bucks in the area or food sources. It's just, he might travel all over at night, and there's pictures. I get a deer one, two in the morning, and you know what? when I get them pictures, it's just like, I might as well just throw that away because it's like, I don't tell me anything because I don't know how far he is traveling because they will travel a mile, you know, at nighttime. Um, but it's that daytime activity. I think Garrett, that I, that really gets me peaking my interest to where, okay, he's moving through here for a day, day in the daytime. Maybe the pressure ain't that much, or maybe there's a doe, a hot doe here, or he'll move through here daytime one time he's he's apt to do it again you know yeah that's probably my biggest thing i look for is finding that daytime picture you know 
So if you get that daylight confirmation pick, are you oftentimes going pretty much right in that same area, provided you got a good wind to hunt it? Or are you saying, okay, he was in daylight here, but I bet if I put my, if I hung my stand, you know, 50 yards this way, this is actually the better spot to, to try and kill him. Yeah. Well, I mean, within a couple hundred yards each way, if it's, if he feels safe traveling through there, if he came through here, you know, he's traveling that way. Um, whether it's food or looking for does, he's, he's in about the area. So like last year I followed a deer, he's about eight, nine years old. He started out the year in a clear cut in October and, you know, he made all kinds. Another thing, things, that's what I say. People will read that sign. So this buck I followed last year, he was living in his clear cut in October. And I got pictures of him. He had rubs in there. I left cameras in there and, and going into November and October and, and I got guys on my cameras. I think they're even checking my cameras, but I didn't have that buck in there. And then got all them rubs, all that nice sign was there. And he moved out. I tracked him and he went down into this creek bottom and there was a scrape he would hit. You know, it was like middle October. He was hitting this scrape. And then it seemed like as, as the season, as the year progressed, he would move further downstream. Before I found him like the beginning of November, he already moved like deeper down into this creek bottom. It was a little thicker. Um, and uh, the guys were meanwhile, not saying November 12th, 15th, 18th, he might fly through that clear cut where he made them rubs in October, but that things evolve and change. Like I followed this deer through October into November, how he transitioned from living in this area, feeding a lot of brows, like fattening up and he knew the pressure was coming in and he worked his way down to this creek bottom and hanging out in this area. And he just went deep. And I don't know if he went deeper down in that creek bottom because of that. Maybe that's where the does, you know, the families were living and he know that's, that's where he was felt comfortable breeding or, or that's where they were in, in, uh, they were coming into heat the first ones or what, or how it would be. But I, I, um, tracked him, you know, daylight in October. I, I, I checked the camera, you know, um, late or no, it was probably in November. I checked that camera and he was in that clear cut in October. I'd like to hunt it this year if I got time, but it was around that third week, fourth week, October that gosh, he just knew I'm getting out of there, but it looked so good. The sign was there. The rubs were there. I'm like, man, I'm, trails coming in deer shit. They're feeding here. I'm like, it's like, man, I, I, like I wanted to hunt it, but I'm like, he's gone. This was already, this is yesterday's news, you know? So, I followed him down further downstream and uh, I seen him at first time and he was, and he was there um, with a doe. I hadn't gotten a, a couple pictures there right around the, you know, early morning. I think it was right around daylight. So he was, I knew he was close and there was some, it was dark down in there, you know, some pines some red pines and, I know he felt comfortable in there and there was a lot of does and he had scrapes and rubs. So this is where he's hanging out. So I kind of fall and I did see him at first time and, um, you know, the wind shifter or whatever, but, um, it's, it's just another story how it, the season evolves from October going into November and how these deer, like one point he's here. And, but this is one deer in one situation where he was here in October and then he just gradually moved his way down. Maybe it was because of the does, or maybe it was the hunt pressure, maybe it was a combination. Maybe it's where he felt safe. Um, but like I said, you can be, you could be, it's like hot potato, you know what I mean? It's like hot, cold. It's like, that was hot, that was hot. Yeah, that's why I always like to keep scouting, because there's always that hot sign, which is, 
that daytime activity. Got to get in tight to him maybe earlier on, but um, like I said, I followed him into November, and it, it was right around daylight. But I bet he he hung out all down in it. He was he was in close right in that area, and um, if he made it through last year, I don't know if he did. Him. Maybe get on him again this year. But I learned more, so I, now I can kind of foresee the future a little bit. How he lived in that clear cut, and when and I know maybe you know his middle position maybe early November end October, and maybe catch him there, and then. Then again, a little further downstream, um, and I feel like he's at the age, eight or, I think he's eight or nine. His rack's not getting any bigger. I know that the last few years. And, but I think a daylight picture is definitely good intel. Well, last year, some of the some of the pictures I, I had, I didn't really get the intel until after the season when I went and grabbed the cameras. But I think the deer that I ended up shooting, there's three total – daylight pictures that I had of him and one was like I think late October at like 10 in the morning on one side of a swamp like a beaver pond and the other two pictures were also in the morning but like on a, the far side of like a different beaver pond um, and I actually the way the way his body language looked in the picture it almost looked like like he was chasing a doe like I don't know if a doe went in heat early but it was like those are the only two daylight pictures that were of that deer. Everything else that I ended up getting of them was, you know, 4 a.m., midnight, and, like, similar areas. So, but, but the number of pictures that would come through, and it'd be random kind of, like you said, where he'd show up in the, the pictures, and you, you thought it was a tight enough pinch point where deer would have to go through there, but he yeah. wouldn't always show up on those cameras. You know, like, you get, like, maybe on yeah. average one or two pictures a week of the various cameras and there's, there was never one thing that happened that was repeated like this exact same the very next day but by just yeah. continuing to hunt the area it was like eventually it, it came together um but it, it definitely makes it hard from like a predictability standpoint um to try and you know call your shots so to speak i like the hunting pressure to me that constricts them that that tightens things up for me like I, I can eliminate a lot. So in this area I'm talking about where this buck was, I can eliminate a lot of area real fast and knowing when the hunters are going to come in and flood them clear cuts and hunt that it's going to like, okay, I know where I need to be. So I really rely on people get mad. Oh, there's a guy in my spot. I'm like, great. You know, I know where he's at and I know the, I know where he wants to go. So yeah, I do rely on, and there are other places that I hunted that the pressure, you know, even up in that area, maybe back into where I can get random pictures, a lot of daytime movement, but it, they're living their life without hunters and without the pressure that they are living a normal life, maybe until maybe rifle season or, or maybe the rut they might get, but I do get pictures, but I usually don't hunt them deer because it's with the brows being random and the, and the topo being really gradual, you know, he, he is more apt to move during the daytime that, that time of year any time of year more so out of like rifle season and without the pressure just like he he's not there's not a reason for him to tighten up his where he seems like where he you know what yeah. i mean like where yeah. he's constructed most, it's like sometimes like because i'll get pictures like oh yeah these 10 a.m two a lot of i mean 10 a.m noon one two o'clock i got but i'm like this deer is just living as a nomad roaming through this thing getting up and moving at all times of day but how how are you going to catch him if there's if there's so, so much um, 
nomadic movement with that, that type of topo, that terrain, that and that the food sources being everywhere and covered to so where I actually gravitate toward the hunters a little bit to help constrict, you know, and if you know that yeah, land enough, sense. you know, and like my buddy up at my camp, I had a couple 130 inch bucks. It was rifle season a couple of years ago. They will be there at dark. And my buddy said, I'm going to go on a hill beyond camp and hunt them bucks. He hunted all day. And, you know, they were down at my yard at night, you know, and, and, uh, I said, you see them deer? He said, no, I don't know where that they're at. I said, well, Greg, I tell you what, you walk up in them woods and there's miles of woods. I said, you, you have me come find you. You think I'm going to find you? He said, no. Well, I said, there you go. You know what I mean? It's like, they know how to hide. They have the camouflage, the ears, everything to be efficient and hide from you. And if you think of it that way, like just take an area that you hunt and, 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 and you tell someone, you know, well, I'm going to go hide from you here. You come find me. Basically, it's hide and seek. And I always say, used to say that they're professional hiders. They know how to hide. That's what they're doing to survive. You know, they hide from them, from people like us. You know what I mean? yeah. Basically, you think about it in that perspective. Where like you're talking to your buddy. You say, I'm going to go up in these woods and hide. You come find me. You know what I mean? It's like they know that that's their bedroom, you know. So you look at it like that, that that's that's what they're good at doing. So it seems like most of the people up around you, just like looking at the maps of those areas, it seems like where you get clear cuts, oftentimes they're up on like the higher ground. Does it seem like most, most guys are hunting higher stuff and in, in areas with higher hunter concentrations, it tends to push those bucks down lower. Yeah, I think so. And a little more cover has a little more cover down in the bottoms, swirling winds. Um, I just, I just, I haven't, now if you get it, there's different areas. Now if you're talking about an area, some other areas that are just oodles of clear cuts. Then people say, I like hunting clear cuts. Well, if 70% of you, 60, 70% of your land's clear cuts, well then, yeah, you're going to like hunting them. But when you get to the area like maybe that I would be, there'll be 10%, 5, 10% clear cuts. Then I feel like a lot of people are going to, you know, tunnel vision on those clear cuts and hunt them and, I, I, I try to stay away from them. Yeah. You know, maybe like an older one that people don't really gravitate to because it's just hard to hunt them. And, um, but yeah, so it's like, it's all going to be relative to who, where that person's hunting. Oh yeah. I hunt clear cuts. Well, you know, like I said, if everything you have is clear cut, then you have no reason not to hunt them, you know, but if they're smaller. So I'm always hesitant. It's a good place to run cameras. I'll put them up in a tree and, maybe get nighttime picks or inventory and sometimes it looks so good. And sometimes it's like the saying is too good. looks good to be true. You know, it, it's just too good to be true. And it's just, and it's usually you're seeing all that sign, all that shit, all them. It's just a lot of, maybe it's the general population of deer living in that. Um, but that mature deer, not saying he ain't going to come through. You know what I mean? You get into like the third week of November. I feel like that's when they're going to be a little bit goofy on their foot to where they're going to, you might catch them there. And sometimes it's like that time of year. It's like, I'm just going to get in a random spot where does are. Yeah. Cause that could be how he's living his life at that time of year. or just randomness moving and looking for a doe. Um, but I mean, for the most part, that ain't it. There's, he got a thought in mind and a process and, uh, where he, you know, maybe even eliminates where some does are already been in heat and he knows how to, you know, 
get around to find the ones that aren't used covered, everything at his advantage, you know. But um, I feel like they still use their senses, even though, like, the younger ones get dumb. I think they've been through that, and they've learned from that. Um, even in that area, the snow can get heavy at times to where I feel like them mature deer live through some harsh winters to where, like, I'll get pictures of deer um, March, you know, where you can see their ribs scrawny like this dude barely made it through the winter you know and there's other deer four-year-olds um you can't even see their ribs it's like hey what what has he been what what did he did he do through the rut to get to this point where you can't see his ribs he has, still has meat on his bones he didn't move a lot that's you don't know what it comes down to he did a lot of hiding from you know a little bit of breeding and a lot of hide because uh even though they're they're they have to breed they they have to survive first to breed so that's number one so he he might breed one or two does and some of these deer in these areas are losing their horns in december because like okay I, I did that it's done i know what's next this harsh winter and i'm um I'm, I'm preparing i'm, I'm bedding down I'm, I'm resting i don't want to be starving like i did two years ago that was terrible you know yeah so that that's they hide and they're lazy. Like I, I sometimes use the analogy of like a, an old bull out in the field with cows. I mean, he, he's laying down 90% of the time by himself over there, you know, and it's a few times when he has to breathe that he's going to come around and participate and be around them. But he's just, he's putting all that muscle on and all that, fat, you know, like that's what he's geared to do to survive before anything, before the breeding. So um, think about it like that. You see these deer like, and that's how they do survive is like be nomadic, but also hide, not, not move a lot. And they learn, you know, what works for them. You know, like the younger deer, you bump, they'll run. I'm sure there's a lot of times that these deer let you walk by them, you know, just lower their head and, and they'll just hide, you know, that's, it's, they know that they, they can do it and, and it works for them and it's not, they don't give up their location and they let you walk by and just be lazy. And, and, but, also, when they're laying there, they, they have escape routes already in mind if, if you do come by. And a lot of times you'll bump a mature deer, and I know they'll escape from you or me. And they're, they know where you're coming or they have an idea where you're going to come, and they know which way they're going to work. I've seen them run. It's like I see a blur. It's like, man, how do you expect to kill these things? But, you know, they use everything to their advantage instinctually. You know, they don't, like – after years, they know what they need, how they feel comfortable to lay down here, you know, it's, and, but it's usually the same type of thing, whether they got the wind or, or their eyes at their advantage to see where they're at or to, or to when to smell um, what's coming or, like I said, see what's there. But make them feel secure, but also have them exit routes. But it's not something they think about, just something over time bedded how many places have they been in their life to finally fine tune it and everything's like coming together. You know what I mean? Where it all works for them and they don't, they don't um, make many mistakes, you know? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. We do. I mean, I tend to put them up on a pedestal, but sometimes they, we have the ability to think and rationalize and, and learn that they don't, you know, you know, if you're optimistic and you believe in your spots, there's no reason why you can't see it happen. Be also realistic, you know, don't just 
oh yeah, this is I'm I'm confident I'm gonna kill a deer this year. Just saying that, do you believe it? That ain't enough. You also gotta be realistic and ask yourself a bunch of questions, you know, and, and to make sure, you know, you know, to put you in like that believing state, you know what I mean? Eliminate a lot of stuff. Like, man, maybe he smelled me. Maybe, I, I always say, maybe, maybe he's over there. Maybe he smelled me. Maybe, you know, it's like, I'm always thinking and wondering, you know, but there are times when I've been in a tree garret and I felt so sure that I was going to like, like all the stars aligned and I knew I was going to kill a deer and I would almost hyperventilate to the point where like, I was just like looking over my shoulder for like eight hours straight. I said, I'm, because everything just felt right, and I believed it and felt it, you know. Um, and I did, you know. I shot a deer, you know. It's not, but there are times you get in them spots, and, and I don't know if it's your instincts or your intuition, or it is all the scout and the time you put in the woods that just it, it feels right, just like a deer, how he lives, you know. It feels right where he's living and where he lays down, you know. I kind of get in tune with with them and feel that way and. But yeah, there's times I got to a spot and I could just, you know, your sense just, man, this is it. I'm going to kill a deer here, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, um, but a lot of time in the woods and, you know, and like I said, before even maps came out, I would just walk and put a map in my head just where this scrape was. And I would connect, I mean, I would walk like I said, I used to say to myself, man, if people seen me, they think this guy is. There's something wrong with him. He's just walking around the woods, but I'm trying to put that map in my head and see it like the deer do, you know, so I can hunt them and, and know know where they want to be and know how to set know where to set up on them, you know. So I guess if I had a couple takeaways, it would be that when you look at the overall deer picture, the older ones, the more mature ones, may not necessarily be doing what all the rest of the deer doing, but even within that context, there's still going to be some kind of, you know, range of personality where maybe some are going to be more or less likely to engage in normal deer activities or engage in, you know, the first part of the rut or whatnot. They might not be leaving all the sign, or if they do, that sign that they're leaving might be nocturnal sign. And if you're finding a good area, it might just be that, you know, you have to start focusing just adjacent to where most of that sign is. And, and maybe there's some other spot where it's good for monitoring the sign and it's away from pressure. And maybe that could be where that, you know, mature deer could be hanging out, uh, to find them in, in bigger areas, like, like where you're hunting it anyway, it's hard to beat just boots on the ground combined with trail cameras, maybe in areas that are more open up, you know, ag country, perhaps glassing would definitely play a role as well. Um, but then once you find or locate that you're an area where you feel like you're in the zone or, or in the ballpark, so to speak, not just diving in and starting to hunt and hunt and hunt, but just trying to get more and more Intel, drop a couple more cameras, try and learn as much as you can about that particular area, that particular deer, if you can. And then once you feel like the time is right, then you go in and make your move. Um, and, and just kind of always being open to various possibilities for certain scenarios because you could get a whole gamut and one deer might not be like another one or one deer might not be even the same as he was the year before. From what you took away, you said a lot of maybes, you know, and I'm hoping that someone, I like helping people, you know what I mean? Hopefully someone listens and says, oh, 
this happened to John or he thinks like this, they could take just like little pieces. Maybe it might not all be good for one person. What I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and being that I've hunted a bunch of different States and different, like, you know, it's hard to, you know, as you ask me a question, like in my head, I got all these places that I've been in a different terrain and habitat, different times of year and this and that. And it's just like, I get overwhelmed with all the information that I've learned you know, to answer one general question, but I'm hoping that, and like I said, it, and that's why learning curve never ends. There's no black and white. It's not do this, hunt this like this. This is how you do this. I try not, I try to stay away from stuff like that because there's so many variables in the whole equation of hunting deer, you know, that you can even mention them all with the one question. You know what I mean? It seems like the only commonality is that there's really not much of a substitute for, for hard work. Yeah, definitely hard work. Yeah, you're right. It is, uh, it is, it's, it's tough, but it's rewarding to, to when you do succeed or when you harvest one, you know, it's not, and I don't believe in luck. I don't, I rarely wish people good luck. Hey, good luck. I don't believe in it. It's like, when I was younger, I've shot a couple big bucks. Was, oh, that's just like kid. That kid just looked like before I grew up. He's lucky. I didn't believe that because I know what I did to deserve that deer. And then I started shooting more. And I'm like, oh, this guy. Right? Maybe it ain't luck. And then I got to be known. Um, but um, yeah, I'm hoping people could take something away from it to help. But they're, hey, two years ago, I hunted 50 hours in a tree. I shot two. Hoping young size bucks or so, and I missed 150 in 40 hours of sitting in a tree. Last year, I pulled my bow back one time, Garrett, from October to middle of January. So there you go. One year, I thought, you know, I had success and I did well with very little time um, hunting actually in a tree. And last year, I learned more. You know, I was out there more learning every year and every time you go in the woods, but you could just, it's like you throw everything out of the bag. It's like, well, Sean, you hunted all year and you pulled your bow back one time on the year. Yeah. So it's not like I lost knowledge. It's just, that's how it is. Right. Just the reality of, of the, you know, the, the waves and the, the pluses and minuses and, you know, the good years and the bad years and, and just kind of, you know, a little bit of, just statistical chance that you're going to have some times that are in some years that are better than others. That's how it can happen, you know, and that's why you never quit learning and to be better. Cause you have a year like, and you're like, man, so this year I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm on them. You know, I feel like I'm going to have a good year, but you don't know that, you know, you don't know what, just what's going to be thrown at you. So just got to, just got to keep grinding and doing the, the best you know how to do. And, hope for the best. Yeah. All right. Well, if, if people have additional questions or want to get a hold of you, is the best place to contact you through Instagram or, or Facebook? What's the best way for people to reach out? Yeah. On Instagram, uh, the Johnny Stewart. Um, if you want to shoot me a message, you got any questions, I'm happy to help. Um, the best I can. Um, yeah anybody wants to get a hold of me that's where i'm at i usually try to get you know answer most of the people that um talk to me so 
hopefully I can help someone out, you know. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.